Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian and Gabriel. The podcast where we go year by year and review what happened in pop culture while Gabriel was being homeschooled and sheltered from the outside world. The year, 1997. Diana, Princess of Wales, was killed in a car crash in Paris. Google.com was registered as a domain name. Tiger Woods becomes the youngest golfer to ever win the Masters history. A movie ticket in America cost $4.59. And Yahoo Mail was introduced. Gabe, what are you doing in 1997? Well, I wasn't at the time, but now I'm wondering if if Google sacrificed Princess Di in order to ensure their success, because that timing's coincidental. Wow, Gabe. Uh, I don't know if you know, but this is not a uh, conspiracy theory conspiracy. podcast. That's our other podcast podca- <laughs> <laughs> podcast called, what would that one be called? Pop Culture uh, Conspiracy? No. It'd be Poop Culture Hangfire. Because <laughs> <laughs> conspiracy theories are shit. <laughs> Pop. Um, Go ahead. Sorry. 97. All right. 97. Hang on. Let's think. What is going on? So I am uh, living uh, my best life uh, as a nine-year-old, and I am out uh, living. We're living with the grandparents. So that's in uh, Ranch Cucamonga, almost an acre. I play outside a lot. This is probably at the point where we've got our uh, like a computer. My brother had built a computer, I, I would imagine. Think it's at this point, and uh, so that world is opening like video games, like actual, not just like Math Blaster, but like actual, like Unreal Tournament and things are 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 on the horizon. All right, ninety-seven for me. I am a junior in high school. I at this point have I'm on a path where because I know the future right now. I'm on a path where in a in less than a year. I will find myself in night school in order to try to graduate high school. <laughs> that did not take long. That did not take very long. Uh, <laughs> I'm in that path, though. Uh, other than that, though, again, having my best life. This is this is 1997. This is the year I went to see the Foo Fighters at the Hollywood Athletic Club that we talked about. Oh, man. This is a great year for, for music, for vandalism, for hijinks and debauchery. I mean, I was... Those are ooh. all good things. You know what it is? In moderation. <laughs> and it's hard to say for like a seventh year, well, how much moderation? You know, I, I could have done one or two less things. How much moderation does a 17-year-old is usually answered by whatever whatever limits are placed on them by any parental figures in yeah, society? Yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem. <laughs> but yeah, no, great year, though. 97 was a fantastic year. Speaking of fantastic years, quite a year for, for not for the amount of movies like 93 was, but quite a year for exceptional movies. So let's get the big one out of the way, right? The one that, I mean, we neither one of us have seen, but we have practically seen completely because of every pop culture reference to it since 1997. Titanic comes out in December of 1997, right? Directed, written, produced, and co-edited by James Cameron. And put on two whole VHSs. Two whole VHSs, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. 
nominated for 14 Academy Awards, Gabe. Okay? With a production budget of 200 million worldwide gross over 1.8 billion. Okay? The Titanic was the first film to reach the billion dollar mark. It remained the highest grossing film of all time until another of Cameron's movies uh, took that place. Avatar surpassed it in 2010. So this thing held that record for 13 years. Absurd. So again, as I've said before, I have not seen this movie, but I feel like based on the last 23 years, 25 years, uh, I practically have. I know the premise, the song... I know who does what. I know Billy Zane's in it. Billy Zane's in everything, first of all. But yeah, so, you know, I don't think I missed out on much. I was not a Leonardo DiCaprio fan until after this movie. I mean, I had seen Basketball Diaries. I think that was it of his, which was a really great performance by him. And I think what's he didn't go for grape. But this was the one movie I missed. And I, I don't regret it. Yeah, I, uh, I think I treated Leo in much the same way I treated Brad Pitt initially where i was just like he's there to bring in a female audience and i did not credit the acting skills until i saw things later and was like oh no no, he's just a really good actor all right yeah i think blood diamond uh changed my mind about him okay the next movie and it's a movie close to your heart and we we talked about it a little bit in the bruce willis episode but we're going to go into deeper deeper detail now the fifth element comes out in 1997 how appropriate that we just talked about that and how you were like, I can't wait to get to that one. It's very exciting. Here we are. French science fiction action film directed by Luc Besson. Very French science Very fiction. French. Co-written by Besson and um, from a story of his with a co-writer, Robert Mark Kamen. Um, Luc Besson, you'll know from another one of, one of the greatest movies ever made, uh, Leon the Professional. Just absolute perfection. But also, for one of the worst movies I've ever seen, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Oh, oh I have not seen that. All right. Oh, we, you know what? We could do a mini episode we just should. for that movie alone. Oh, it is. Oh. The Fifth Element, as we mentioned, starring Bruce Willis and um, Gary Oldman and Mila Jovovic. Also, Chris Tucker. Luke Perry's at the beginning of that movie. I said Tiny, but his full name is Tommy Tiny Lister. He's the one who plays the inter- the intergalactic president. Yep. And uh, the rapper singer uh, Tricky is the other uh, main character in the movie, plus Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I honestly think that the first time I saw this was probably. I mean, it was much later, and it would have been a television, like on television, because that movie got a lot of play on like TNT, Spike, you know, whatever. Like that movie probably still to some extent like it'll it'll come up that that's like you can't look away like you start seeing it and it's just it's so wacky and so it just draws you in and so I, I i just remember the first time i saw it i think i was just sitting there going what the hell is going on for like the entire movie just from the start because the start is it's just weird it's weird from beginning to end and it's wonderful yeah no absolutely agree absolutely uh nine million ninety million dollar budget uh 263 million in the box office. So they tripled their money. I think they got their money back. It's funny too, because like the effects, of course, are from 97. They are not spectacular, but they fit the tone of the movie so well that it like it doesn't matter that it's some of it is just over the top silly because that's kind of hand in hand with what's happening. 
like despite the obvious silliness of things it doesn't take away from the the story at all at all at all and it was you know it's cool to see i always like seeing people's rendition of a future it's always kind of cool to see like because every movie like you know you watch demolition man you watch blade runner you watch you know looper all these movies everybody tells like a you know total rico i think is another one i can think of where like like they were five percent right you know and then 95 percent like what the hell was that you know so it's one of those things i think we're we're still waiting for that gridlock of flying cars i think i'm still waiting for that from the matrix no not from the matrix from like irobot from the fifth element uh, from the jetsons you know like (laughs) i remember whenever he went to smoke they were like the cigarettes were like 80 percent filter well, I remember it was because it was part of quitting, right? So you started with a full one program. and the yeah, and the it was hilarious. It's something that simple and you're like, "Wait, <laughs> we don't have a pill in the future? We don't have a better patch?" Um, the third movie we're going to talk about, it's this is one of my favorite movies of all time. This movie is exceptional. Have you seen the movie LA Confidential? I haven't. I know of it though. That's that's a name I'm very familiar. Based on James Elroy's novel Uh, It's the story of LAPD officers in 1953 and the uh, intersection of like police corruption and Hollywood celebrity. You have at the time unknown Guy Pierce and unknown Russell Crowe as the leads with James Cromwell, uh, Kim Basinger, Danny DeVito, Kevin Spacey. This movie was nominated for nine Academy Awards and it won for two of them for Best Supporting Actress for Kim Basinger and Best Adaptive Screenplay. Uh, funny note, Titanic won every other category LA Confidential <laughs> was nominated for. What a tough year to get nominated, right? <laughs> like, you were like, this is the year. Oh, never mind. Cameron no. did something. I guess we'll all just come back next year. Imagine there's a universe where Titanic came out. Because, look, Titanic came out in December. There's a universe mm. where Titanic comes out in January. And LA Confidential becomes the most successful movie of twenty uh, of 1997. Oh, man. But yeah, it, it is a phenomenal movie. Russell Crowe's character of Bud White, dude, it is, it is, oh, I relate to that character so much. In the, in the sense of, like, he has moral, he has a moral code, moral values, right? Like, where he's like, certain things you don't do, you don't hit a woman, you don't do this, you don't do that. But he's corrupt as hell as a cop and willing, like, willing to put evidence. If he knows the person's guilty, he's willing to beat a confession out of somebody. He's the guy who doesn't, he knows right from wrong, but he also understands the chain of command and understands what needs to be done in order to achieve your goal. And justify the means. He is a muscle, but he's also, you know, he's got a good heart and he's got any, he, and he means well, and he's a good detective, but he is just a fucking rhino, <laughs> you know? And, oh my God, he plays that character so, so well, dude. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. It really is. I added it to the list. Please do. Went on the list. Please do. Uh, we have Goodwill Hunting in 1997. Have you seen that one? I've seen parts of it. I have not seen it in its entirety. All right. Directed by Gus Van Sant and starring Robin Williams, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Mini Driver, and the Skarsgård father, uh, Stellan. Written by Ben Affleck and, and Matt Damon, by the way. I did know that, thanks to pop culture references. Right. Grossed over $225 million on a $10 million budget. One in two categories of the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for Robin Williams 
and best original screenplay for Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. How fucking crazy is that? It's uh, that whole story is pretty crazy. It is. It's amazing. It it it's such such a great movie. I think when this came out, I had only seen The Rainmaker with Matt Damon, and I think Ben Affleck, maybe Chasing Amy, had come out already. Yeah, this is way early. Yeah, yeah, it's way early in their careers. But yeah, no, uh, also just phenomenal movie. Highly, highly recommend it. Now, I'm going to play a very quick sound clip, and you tell me what this next movie is. Come on, you if you want to live forever! Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that is uh, <laughs> Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers comes out in 97, based on the... Uh, on Heimling's uh, 1959 novel, this really surprised me, right? What do you think the budget of that movie was? Oh, man. So, like, the but, argument and again, I in say, my head. I, I say it surprised me, so think of a number higher than what you think of. <laughs> right, because in your head, like, you look at that and you think, this is silly. It could be it could be pretty trash. But, like, also, on the other hand, like, I, I don't know that they were taking it that silly. Like, they were trying to do a thing here. So, the budget. Um... Let's go. So it's 97. Let's go with um, uh, 100 million. Oh, wow. It's pretty close, man. 105. Mm, closest without going over. Ding, ding, ding. I was surprised by the budget because, like you said. That is a lot, though. Because, like you said, I, I watched that movie and it was a, you know, it was it was a, a sci-fi, you know, action comedy. You How know, much like, did you say Fifth Element was? 90 million. And that okay, looks so like guess, ninety million, but it, they had a lot of things. I guess I, I, if you put them side by side, I suppose you see that they both had. It's been a while since I watched Starship Troopers. Okay. But like I guess they had a lot going on. I wouldn't have guessed a hundred though if you hadn't said. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised too. Um, you know, I think thirteen years later, fifteen years later, it became you know the cult classic that it is now. But at the time, dude, it only cleared one hundred and twenty-one worldwide. Yeah. It's. So here's the thing, look, I'm a huge fan of the novel, right? The novel is great. I have read that. You know, it deviates from the novel quite 90%. <laughs> <laughs> quite, it's scary. It's, a, it's different. <laughs> it's very different. But in itself, it's a it's a good, fun movie. It really is. It's it's. I hate to use the term uh, guilty pleasure. Yeah. But it is one of those movies where you're like, I accept the fact that this movie is what it is and that... It is not it, a faithful adaptation. A faithful adaptation, but also like it doesn't take itself serious. And if it did do, do did do try to take itself serious, it it didn't come off that way. You know, like like somebody who like somebody who who tries to act tough, but at the end you're like, oh, you're not tough. You're just, you know. I don't, I don't know. think it's ever been clarified whether they were intentionally being satirical or not. Because that argument, I've seen that argument continue yeah. to like to this day, where people are like, "No, no, no, no!" They were poking fun at the source material. Other people going, "No, no, no, no!" They were trying to do it. They just did a bad job. I don't think anybody knows. Yeah, because so aside from the political part of the book, the book heavily concentrates on the machinery and the type of training and the type of individuals that end up being roughnecks, right? Showing the mobile infantry. Today. Yeah. The the movie just doesn't even touch up on any of that. They're wearing fo like football uh, pads, you know. While in the book, they're wearing these like mechanized mech suits. Yeah, but like almost exoskeleton, right? Because they're not yeah. they're not like robots. They're just enhanced. No, no, no. 
and they're able to They've carry a, a ridiculous amount of crazy firepower. Weapons. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the 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 animated uh CGI show that came out. Um I think it was called Roughnecks. Uh Starship Troopers Roughnecks. And that was like spot on to the to the book. They were all about the suits. Um but yeah, no, I again, this movie is a very fun movie. I I I have watched it probably over a dozen times. It holds up. It really does hold up. It's it's really impressive. So I will say that. Now, the last mention we have is, and this is just because of my love for John Leguizamo and just what an amazing actor and person he is. And also, fun fact, the very first DVD I bought was this movie in 1999. My first DVD with DVD player. This was the first movie I ever bought. A movie called The Pest, starring John Leguizamo. Have you ever even heard of that one? I, I haven't. I don't think I've ever even heard the title. At the, There was a moment when he was incredibly hot, and I think they just gave him a movie to do whatever the hell he wanted, and he did exactly Ooh. that. It is the most <laughs> disjointed, just... It's like they said, here's a script. Why don't you do whatever you want with it? And they filmed it. That movie is bonkers. But it is so good because it's so raw, and it's him at his peak in his youth and, like, taking... You know, like somebody gave him an opportunity and he ran out of the, just over the fence, out into the neighbor's yard, and then a block away with it, you know? It's got some, some, oh no, it's got no, yeah, no. Anyway, it's a fantastic movie to me because of the nostalgia for it. It has a young Aries Spears and a young Freddie Rodriguez who, you know, went on to be a, a very successful actor with like Six Feet Under, he was an Ugly Betty a ton of work that he's done since. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's this, I would say is a guilty pleasure because even John Leguizamo's like, yeah, I don't want to talk about the past. <laughs> That's how you know. That's how you know. But yeah, no, it's a, it's a great fun movie that you don't have to pay attention to that will make, <laughs> that will not make a lot of sense. It will not. Don't bother. Yeah, no, it doesn't it's, make sense. It's, it's such an, it's such a, just, yeah, no. Uh, but I love that film so much. I do. Uh, moving on to popular TV shows at the time. You have Seinfeld, ER, Veronica's Closet, Friends, Monday Night Football. TV shows that ended that year. Does this theme song sound familiar to you, Gabe? And carriage this Anything? I've definitely heard it. I don't know what it is. A show that ended in 1997, a little show called Married with Children. Makes sense, based on the the, 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 the thematic content of the music. I've definitely heard it. Never seen the show. Really? Yep. Wow, this uh this is surprising. Because I, I well I guess I guess I'm taking it for granted that everybody watched it. It was on for You are taking. Yeah, it was on for 11 years, um, starring Ed O'Neill, who then had another 11 years with, like, uh, Modern Family and every movie in between. And Katie Seagal, who then also went on to do Sons of Anarchy for another 11 years, I think. And, uh, yeah, it was just a very... Oh, and uh, Christine Applegate, that's where she got her start also. It was a show that was originally created to be the opposite of the Cosbys. 
there is a urban legend that the original title of that show was going to be Not the Cosbys to show a dysfunctional married couple and their family as opposed to the perfect couple that the Cosbys were. Right. Um, and yeah, and it just, it became, uh, you know, everyone became a star based on that show. 11 years, exceptional. One of the funniest TV shows I've ever, I've ever watched. Yeah, a lot of references. That's another one that I've, I'm sure I've seen a ton of reference to via other satirical Oh yeah, for shows. sure. The animated TV show Gargoyles ended in '97. Um, Did you ever watch that? Sporadic. I saw. I saw a little bit of it. I knew of it. Yeah. This was actually a really fun show for me to watch because it almost felt like a cartoon for adults, even though it was a Disney show aimed at children. It was very serious in the in the storyline and everything that it, happened within the show. It's on Disney Plus now too. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, no, it's something I'm definitely gonna. Yeah. That, I, that I've rewatched, I should say. There's a fair number of those of those cartoons, some of which I did get to watch as a kid. That 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 have, I guess, kind of double meanings and and things that are more serious, at least as a as a plot that you can kind of follow as an adult as well, which is interesting. Yeah, I, like I remember, and I, when I think about that, right, I think about like shows that were on around the same time, like Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, right? Definitely aimed for children, right? Darkwing Duck, definitely aimed for children. But then when I think of like Tailspin, I was like, they're using they're using cartoon characters that we know from the Jungle Book, but they're telling a different story about corruption, about, you know, like, and I was like, that's, you know, so I know what you mean, where like certain shows were definitely aimed at a different audience, even though they, they were they were written almost for or the look of it. Yeah. The one that jumps out for me is Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh, okay. Because I watched that, the animated, obviously, a bunch, mm-hmm. and like it had its little storybook fairy tale segment, but there there was always a twist to it. Like it wasn't the pure the pure fairy tale, you know. They weren't telling the the regular. They or there was always some kind of twist to it, and uh, it it's very different to watch as an adult. It's funny. Interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah. Uh, another show that ended that I think we've mentioned, and I'm and I'm. I'm going to say I'm, I'm pretty sure you haven't watched because I think of the nature of the show at the time. A show called Martin. Do you remember that show? No. Because that would have been 92 to 97. It was on for five seasons. And it was Martin Lawrence's sitcom. He was a, com- a stand-up comedian, very popular, uh, you know, with like Def Comedy Jam and stuff like that. But this was like a satirical almost like so he played a uh, he played a radio and television personality. And the series was a, focused around the relationship he had with his girlfriend Gina, and his and her best friend who was very nosy, and uh, his two best friends who were like Tweedledee and Tweedledum and shit. So it was a very funny show, but a lot of catchphrases, a lot of uh, for, you know, unforgettable characters and situations. It was a really funny show. It really was. Uh, so it ended in '97 after five seasons. And now moving on to shows that started in 97. Does this theme song sound familiar to you? Anything? It does, and I don't know what it is. All right. This show started in 90, 
seven. It was on for 13 seasons. King of the Hill. Yeah, there it is. Yep. Created by Mike Judge, the man who also gave us Beavis and Butthead, Silicon Valley, Office Space, and Idiocracy. I mean... Those, I mean, those last two movies alone are worth everything he's ever done in his life. Those two movies are near perfect movies. <laughs> Office Space and Idiocracy are are just two of the funniest films I've ever seen in my life. But yes, King of the Hill, thirteen seasons. Mike Judge. So, did you ever watch that show? That's one that like I I would see sporadic episodes, and I never like sat and watched contiguously or for like I'd see sporadic episodes because it'd be on. It was on the same time span so this i would have seen it much later too right like i would have seen it when i had access to satellite tv you know and it would come on in the same block as a lot of things i did watch like it would come around around the same time as like futurama yeah family got it'd be, it'd be in that in that lineup so i'd see sporadic episodes that wasn't what i was tuning in for ah, okay but i did see episodes the other show damn it bobby damn it bobby <laughs> what the hell bobby uh you know tom petty was on for like two seasons as a reoccurring yeah? character yeah <laughs> I know, right? Random. <laughs> uh, the other show that was that uh, started on that uh, in '97 and lasted for seven seasons, a show that I actually never watched, but again, pop culture references, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Was that a show that you ever caught up on, watched eventually? Never caught up on. I did. Again, that's another thing that, like, if I saw that on at some point, that what what channel did I watch? I think. CW, KCAL, Channel I, 5. So again, I would have seen it later when it was being re- like re-aired on satellite. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which, but like I, I have seen sporadic episodes of it. Yeah. I, again, I never watched it. Now, I did watch the original movie that it was based on. The okay. one starring Christy Swanson and Luke Perry back in the early 90s. I did watch that movie. And I guess that was also written by Joss Whedon, who wrote the the yep. Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show. And I think it was because of that, because he didn't like, I think, the, the rendition that they did on TV, uh, the movie, that he almost had to bring it back to like correct the, the mistake on how he felt about it. Yeah, I never watched it. But you know, you said something, uh, you said something right now that triggered uh, something else I want to, I wanted to say. I watched Lucy and Desi, a documentary about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Yeah. On Amazon. It is such a great documentary, dude. Amy Poehler produced this and and directed it. Um, That is a show I've seen a lot of episodes. Yeah, and that's why I was going to tell, I was going to say, because I know (laughs) you and old timey stuff. It is, it is, now, they tell their story, right? And they leave out certain things. I mean, obviously, you know, you can't fit everything in there. And and the story that you're telling wasn't about those things that they missed out. I, I've been a fan of I Love Lucy for as long as I can remember. It's still one of the funniest shows I've ever seen. She's still one of the greatest comedians I've ever seen. Iconic. I, I mean, iconic, you say it, but until you've seen her do what she does, you you don't realize just how good she was at her craft. But how... How you get to that level isn't by natural talent alone. It is about consistency. It is about perseverance, and it is it's just you know one of those things. But in that uh, in the documentary, they tell you about how. Well, I won't spoil it, but everybody should watch it. But they do say this was the first TV show that started reruns. So Desi Lu Productions 
they basically filmed the show and owned the rights to the show. They filmed 41 episodes in season one, by the way, just season one alone. <laughs> so what happened was after season two, she had a baby. And in between the time off, because they owned the show, they were like, well, why don't we just do reruns? Let's replay the episodes we have. And it kept, it basically started that that rotation of like, in the off season, repeat the episodes that can only be seen once because it's 1950 fucking two. And you don't have a way to revisit those shows. Yeah, they're gone now. <laughs> basically. Um, the other thing that they, and the reason why it worked out for them is because again, they, they were producing their own show. They had started their own studio, but they were the ones who started that, you know, in between seasons to basically let Lucy recover from, from childbirth. It kind of became a thing, but uh, because of that, but then it became a reoccurring thing of like, "Hey, this is how we do it." Hold on, this is this is a real good idea. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so yeah, so when you said reruns right now, it just triggered me. I I highly recommend watching that documentary. It is heartbreaking. That sounds interesting. It is heartbreaking to watch, but at the same time, it goes to show you what that couple did. You know, like what she did basically uh, as an individual who just was not going to stop and having an amazing partner. She's a maverick, for sure. She was. And the things you find out that she did and, and what she's responsible for, it's amazing, man. It's such a great documentary, though. I, I, I think everybody who listens should watch it. Oh, five of Oh, no, there's actually eight of them now. Eight unique listeners. Can I tell you, to those listeners now, thank you very much for listening. I've seen a, an uptick in listening, listenership. We are... I don't know how many episodes we're in at this point because I, I, I haven't concentrated on that. But I've noticed the the listens have gone up over, I think we're almost over 300 people, episodes listened to. And some of our uh, least episodes are still like twice as much as they were in the beginning. So something's happening, Gabe. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm loving this. Momentum. I was watching another documentary called uh, California Typewriter. And it's about why people use typewriters nowadays. And there was a can't stop white people. <laughs> you can't. There was a there was a section where they were talking to different artists about why they use typewriters. And Tom Hanks has like two hundred typewriters, and that, and he refuses to like if he can avoid sending an email and sends a personal thank you note, he types it and then signs. That makes it. sense. Yeah, no, I can see this. It's amazing. But they were talking to John Mayer, and I'm a I'm a huge fan of John Mayer. I think he's one of the greatest guitarists uh, alive today, and I think Continuum is one of the greatest albums I've ever heard. Aside from that. He said something that I don't know why, but it hit me right in the sweet spot. But he said that there's certain people who have an arrogance about them. And he said, it's an arrogance, though, not like what you're thinking of being arrogant. But he said it's an arrogance that they feel they need to create something that doesn't exist just to just to have it exist. <laughs> And I don't know why, but as I was watching that, I was like, I was like, is this why I have a podcast? <laughs> because <laughs> there's an arrogance about me that says this needs to exist, even though no one thinks this should exist. But that arrogance in me says, I need to create this because it. But isn't that how things start, though? Like, that's the that's the whole that's why that's how many things have been made as a result of that need. But see, that's how that's how things happen. But see, no, but there's a difference, right? There's a difference in you need something and then having the 
not even foresight. But I, mean, I get it. I'm not. I'm not comparing this to like the wheel where they were like. Right, right. No, no. But but even no. But even then, though, look, the wheel was created. That's fantastic. But now, the, did the wheel need to be two wheels on a cart, or could it have been one? You know, on a cart. Like it's one of those things where like, I did not create a podcasting. I didn't create microphones, and I didn't create right, right. all these. But something again, and it goes back to that word arrogance. There's an arrogance <laughs> in me that said. I need to make a podcast because it needs to exist. <laughs> it's just it goes back to creativity. That's what it is. You you I think it's a need for a creative outlet. Yeah, but I think you used the word arrogance, and to a certain extent, I was I felt connected to that word for that second because I'm like, you know, the books I've done, this, the stuff I do online, I'm like, I don't have to. Like, it doesn't need to be. But I feel there's so much. Uh, validation for me having completed it whether no one ever sees it or hears it the fact that i did it is is a badge of honor to me it's a pat on my it's own accomplishment. back yeah it, it again i don't know what it was about what he said and how he said it but it just was like yeah yeah john mayer you're right <laughs> like I think it's the follow through on it, right? Because like people, like people can say like, oh, I could do that. Like you hear a podcast or you hear a thing, anything, right? Like you could take podcasts because that's what we're doing as the example. Just, I could do that, but until you do it, it's boasting. the The saying that I always go back to when I when I ask myself if it's pride, if I'm being prideful or boasting, and this has always stuck with me. So, in during much of the, my time around Marines in the Marine Corps, the saying came up a bunch of, "You're it's not boasting if you can do it." <laughs> because out of all the branches it seems the marines got saddled with all the pride but it's not boasting if you can do it is what everybody always came back with so that's actually pretty good you proved you can do it you're not boasting that's pretty good all right moving on to people who died now this one um i know uh him very well because i'm a huge fan of his work uh william s burroughs died in 1997 do you know william s burroughs that's I recognize the name. Tell me about him. American writer, uh, and then eventually became a visual artist. He is one of the, I think, one of the main figures of the Beat Generation, which was that set of writers and artists from the 1940s that came out post World War II. Mm. He's up there with like Allen Ginsberg, Gregory Corso, um, Jack Kerouac. You know, those were those writers. They were all hanging out okay. together and and writing and traveling the world and just you know, writing things differently. One of my, two of my favorite books uh, written by him are Junkie and Queer. Uh, And everyone gives him a ton of credit for Naked Lunch. I have difficulty reading Naked Lunch. It's a very difficult book to read for me. Anyway. But uh, he, you know, he was, he lived until 83 years old. Like, this was the person like uh, Kurt Cobain, you know, Johnny Depp, those type of like artists uh, hung out with and wanted to be with, you know, like uh, Hunter and Th- as Thompson and him were like fucking friends. Um, so yeah, he's he was that guy who who outlived all of the Beat Generation. But he was already the oldest among them, and then he outlived them. <laughs> uh, the universe has a sense of humor. It does, it does. But uh, he passed away in '97 at the age of 83 uh, from complications of a heart attack that he had suffered uh, the day before. It's a decent run. Yeah, no, this is a man, dude, who was an addict his entire life, literally addicted to opium, cocaine, everything under the sun. 
everything points that they should have should have killed him. Outlived everyone. Accidentally killed his wife because they were both fucked up beyond wow. imagination and they were playing a, a game of William Tell. Will, is William Tell the Yeah, the yeah. apple off the head. Except it was a rifle it was no. a it was a handgun. And he wow. yeah. He went through court and then ended up leaving the country for like ten years to to pass the um Statue of limitations. Wow. Yeah, no. This man, I'm telling you, like, live the life that nothing says. He You're right, honey. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I could. But yeah. Again, he wrote great poetry, but I think Junkie and Queer are two exceptional books. One book is about his life as a junkie in the 40s and 50s, by the way. Which, at the time, even the book itself was a problem to write because it was admitting to using, you know, narcotics. Right. And then queer was because he was a homosexual in the 1940s and 50s. So it was a combination of two things going on there. It, it, again, incredible writer, uh, incredible life. Uh, but yeah, he passed away in 97. Wow. Here's another big one that obviously we all know. Chris Farley died in 97. I don't know how, I don't know how you're going to connect this to Princess Die and Google.com, Gabe, but for the other podcast, for poop culture. Right? They needed more fuel. <laughs> Uh, but he passed away of a drug overdose at the age of 33. It's a shame. It's a shame. I was not watching SNL then, but I was a huge fan of Black Sheep and Tommy Boy. I think those two movies, him and and and, um, and David Spade, were the perfect couple, buddy couple, like you know, like deadpan, you know, you know, the odd couple type of relationship. They yeah, were they balanced each other real well. They balanced each other so well. We talked about Coneheads not too long ago. He was he had a great role in Coneheads as the boyfriend to the the daughter. It's a it's it it was it was sad to see that he went, especially because he his career was just taking off. I think he has just finished like Beverly Hills Ninja when this happened, right? I think yeah, Chris Rock <laughs> in that one. Um, so yeah, it, it was a I think it was a loss to everybody. Now this next person that passed, you might know because of old timey stuff, Robert Mitchum. Is that name? Thank you. Ah. Yep. Seen him in a lot of movies. A lot of movies. Died at 79, lifelong smoker. Died due to lung cancer and emphysema. Initially, he was known for his work in the film noir uh, style. And then his acting gradually changed into this anti hero type of character. For me, his biggest role that I love from his past was the original Cape Fear movie. Uh, exceptional, exceptional. But he was in 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, Out of the Past, River of No Return, Night of the Hunter, Thunder Road, El Dorado, Ryan's Daughter, Friends of Eddie Coyle. Um, considered to be the 20, I think they're saying the 23rd uh, greatest male uh, stars of the classic Hollywood cinema. Just an exceptional actor. El Dorado is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. He's like a, overall, yeah, like that's just such a good, and that's that that exemplifies the role he graduated into there as that antihero. He played, oh yeah, he played like someone with past, like who had skill and who had been successful, but like was an alcoholic and has to redeem himself. Like he played that in several. He was that character in several several John Wayne movies specifically. If you were gonna if you were gonna call him that, but yeah. several westerns where that was who he was. Yeah, he was a he was a he's, he's a great actor from that era. Really great actor. Moving on to music. Um, speaking of Princess Di's uh, passing, 
Elton John uh, rewrote the version of his song Candle in the Wind and added a, a verse for uh, Princess Di in 97 after she passed. And wow. it was it was one of the top, you know, top uh, most popular uh, songs uh, for 1997. We talked about Foo Fighters. We know my history of them in 1997. The Color and the Shape came out. One of the biggest songs ever long. It was hugely popular in 97. Gabe, does this song sound familiar to you? Does this? I've karaokeed that song. You have not. I have. Were you the the deep voice? Hello, Barbie. Want to go for no, a? No, I was. I was not. <laughs> you get yeah, enough drinks, and I'll, I'll karaoke whatever. <laughs> I don't. I don't. So, like, to be on. To be fair with it, like, it's at someone's house doing karaoke. So it's not like I'm in public oh, okay. doing this. You, you weren't so in a public. I'm not form. that bold, but that still is in front of a bu- like a bunch of people at a house who have been, and I'll just be like, yeah, I start. So I start with Metallica. I start with where I'm familiar <laughs> and comfortable, and then at a certain point, I'm just like, yeah, I'll put whatever on. Like I'll join in. Just grab a mic. All right, all right, and then this other song that you could not get away from in 1997. It hit you yet? I mean, I I recognize it. I haven't karaoke it though. So that is the pop group Hanson and the song Mbop. Insanely popular in '97. It was a different time. It was a different time. Um, you know they've owned that song, dude. They still perform it now as adults, but like a, an acoustic, more like mellow version, and it actually doesn't sound terrible. I'm not gonna lie. You gotta evolve with the times. You do. You do. Okay. Seeing as we're at time, we're gonna save the tech and toys for next week. Um, but I will mention one Hollywood gossip that ties in to uh, one of the movies that we talked about today. In 97, director Luc Besson marries Russian-American actress Mila Jovovich. Then proceeds, she proceeds to have a lot of roles, doesn't she? That's her soul. Am I wrong? <laughs> wow, Gabe. Why would a 38-year-old man marry a 22-year-old American-Russian-actress uh, uh, model? That that list is literally like endless. I feel like just, there's there's so many reasons. Yeah, yeah. But it's a shorter list of why it would go the other way. But his reasons totally understandable. Now let's let's address the elephant in the room. Obviously, Luc Besson was in the last five years accused of, um, and there were allegations of certain misconducts, and he was part of the Me Too. Um, identifications. What do we want to say? Because I don't want to say know. I don't want to say Me Too movement. Um, because 
he wasn't on the positive end. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So like, you know, and I didn't I didn't hear about him being involved in all that. I guess I didn't pay as much attention. Yeah, in 2018, 2019, I think the 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 courts uh settled the cases not settled out of but like they dismissed them oh but there okay. was a certain amount of, of women i think uh, four or five so again like you know um it's an it's a it's a it's a it's a interesting topic to discuss and one that i am not uh versed enough to discuss on yeah. but i will say that that's that's something that's in his history you know i hadn't even heard that in relation to him on its news huh it was one of those things that 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 was handled because of the, I think I mean he he's not you know the biggest director writer right right so I think it's something that maybe didn't make it to the headlines but it's something that happened I will I will mm. say that um, I I you know I don't have I don't have any feelings towards Luke Vasson either way I think he made some wonderful movies yeah back in ninety seven and ninety you know whenever Leon the Professional came out. I wasn't a fan of Valerian and we, uh, we can have an episode about that one. <laughs> But you know, just putting it out there that 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 did happen. I'm uh, you know I'm not co-signing him or anything. Just no. put, putting it out there. Uh, so initial thoughts, Gabe, on 1997. I mean, I, I think again, we, we as you kind of prefaced at the beginning, it's not 93 in terms of quantity, but quality. There, we've got some real outstanding uh, films, and 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 a lot of other interesting things like that one. Like again, as we get to those latter years, there's more that I can uh, specifically recall that came up so it's very uh it's very interesting to think back to it and on that note uh to all our new listeners and all our old listeners thank you for listening and you know we'll see you next week